Hey, everybody. I'm Carolyn Hadlock, and this is the Unoya Podcast. Unoya is the Greek word for beautiful thinking, and that's what the show is all about. I interview beautiful thinkers who are creatives, founders, authors, and CEOs, and I try to get inside their heads. So I just talked to Wes Rosen. He was an architect trained at Cooper Union, and his works range from corporate spatial planning and installations to artistic installations, and it really focuses on the space between the person and the structures that he designs and builds. Hey, Wes, it's so nice to talk to you. Yeah, hi. Thank you again for the interest, and I'm honored to be a part of the series. I wanted to ask you about your studio. I I saw a couple articles on it, which is beautiful because you guys live in there as well, right? You're in Brooklyn? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, my wife and I were pregnant with our our first boy and um, thinking about what it meant to have children and how involved we wanted to be and uh, recognize that our current setup wasn't going to support that lifestyle very well. And right at that time when we were thinking about sort of how we were going to navigate all that. Half of the building right next to my wife's space became available. And we spoke to the building owner and asked if we could take it on as a a place to sort of build out a new studio and shop and then also an apartment so that we could run two businesses and live all under one roof. Yeah, I saw that you guys talked about that, the sort of the softening of intentionally softening the line between your work and your life. So I'm I'm curious to hear, it sounds like you both are on the same page with that. And it sounds like it's it's a, a benefit for both of you guys and for your child. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we now have two boys who are moving through our, our workspace. And my wife, Natalie, and I are constantly tag teaming on taking care of the boys, to taking care of work. And then also there's a, a community in Natalie's space, which is a shared workshop. That community is sort of an extension of our, our family as well. You know, our uh, two-year-old son, you know, knows many of their names and, you know, they all know him and he's constantly sort of in and out of the shop and playing with tools and taking scraps of wood and, you know, everyone loves it. And... We're also starting to to look at, you know, buying some land outside of the city and looking at these models that actually are pretty common in, in more rural areas, you know, where people have a, a farm operation that's connected to their home, you know, and we see that sort of same smooth combination of, of work life and, and family life. And we're really trying to sort of bring that into an urban experience. Well, and it, I would say your your model um, is very COVID centric, even without meaning to be. So yeah, we got lucky with that. Yeah, it's easy to uh, to to have those lines blur. Well, so your wife, uh, you guys both went to Cooper Union, right? Is that where you we met? Did. Yep, yep, and met in the the shop. <laughs> so she's an artist. Mm-hmm. Is it other artists that she's sharing work with, or sculptors, or do you guys blend the lines there as well? Yeah, in her space, it's a lot of people creating products, furniture makers, people making ceramics, sort of small businesses, you know, single person operations. And yeah, she set up the space um, when she started to get into sculpture and furniture making. Uh, she was a painter for a long time, and then she started 
making these contraptions for painting and uh, had a need for a shop and immediately found that there were a lot of other makers and craftspeople who had a need for a larger shop than they could afford on their own. And um, immediately uh, sort of vibrant community flooded the space. Yeah. Well, again, you guys are ahead of the curve. I think a lot of people are going to be doing a lot less commercial space and shared space in the future. Yes. Now, do you guys collaborate on projects together on your end? Uh, our home was certainly the, the first big collaboration. You know, creating children, I would say, is another big one. You know, we, I would say, tinker um, on things. You know, uh, the design of our apartment, you know, something that certainly collaborated on and you know we we built it ourselves but yeah we only had a couple months to build out the space before our first boy was born so um yeah we quickly pulled the team together and yeah it was tons of fun and then so tell me about camber studios where that name came from and the types of things that you have such a broad range of uh, projects you work on yeah so the word camber is something that you know, one is just in sort of how you can put camber into material. At the time that I was starting to imagine my own practice, I was working on a, a sculpture project at my previous practice, and uh, it was a suspended sculpture. And in order to get the piece to sort of fall into the correct shape, we had to build camber um, into the system that accounted for gravity. So that kind of camber is you know, something as a maker and designer is something that I'm always kind of looking for. And then I also have a, a deep love of airplanes and wind turbines and, and there's, you know, camber in the, that curvature to create lift. Okay. And then also enjoy cars and driving. My father's a, a Porsche mechanic and I grew up around cars and he would talk about camber in roads and, sort of ideal curvature for maintaining speed as you go around a bend. And I also make films and these contraptions for moving cameras through space and that sort of design around motion and movement also sort of gets at ideas sort of with camber. I think in your more recent communications, you had described your shop as an architectural design and, and film company. So I was curious about the role of film, and that seems like an evolution from when you initially started. Yeah, um, we were doing a lot around sort of design, build, and and trying to communicate how things were made and built um, with that time lapse photography and mm -hmm. documentation sort of became a big part of our sort of marketing efforts. And, you know, it's very easy to put a time-lapse camera on a mount in the corner of a room and sort of capture the activity, but it's pretty boring. And so um, to sort of break from the sort of conventional time-lapse documentation, um, we got into building cable rigs and started looking at like drone photography, like early on. Anyway, the, documentation component of a lot of the projects became its own project. I imagine the, your clients like it as well. Yeah, you get another perspective, you know, an experience in film that you can experience in person. One of the most successful film projects 
um, I did was around this installation that we did at the Brooklyn Museum where we built these 20-foot tall columns. And to capture the construction work that we did there, we had this camera moving along a cable 20 feet in the air, and it ran through the space in this kind of zigzag pattern. And that video became part of the installation um, where people could experience the installation from 20 feet in the air, moving along a straight line. So that like other dimension is something that I certainly get excited about. Also just in film, we're often sort of breaking from the constraints of architecture. You know, for example, I, you know, I love that moment um, where you're like moving through a space in a way that we're accustomed to, but then you, you get to a wall or a window, say, and the camera goes beyond what we could do with our bodies. You know, and there's that moment of, you know, that gasp that happens when the camera just extends outside of that gravity. That, yeah. Um, and you can experience that, that little extension off of your body that I think is something that good art or good architecture strives for. You know, that, that kind of pull, that tug where you actually step into a painting or you are just pulled into a space, kind of tugs you out of your five to six foot experience that we're all constantly sort of inhabiting. It kind of reminds me, one of the lines that you wrote that I was drawn to is the idea of being driven by grand ambitions and ventures into the unknown. Uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, just breaking from convention. You know, it's trying to find those opportunities that are between categories, between different modes of, of experience or, or practice. That, that space between two people, that space between a person and the space that they inhabit, between science and art, between making and drawing. You know, it's, it's that, that, zone between where you know things can really sort of take off where do you think that draw to the in-between came from in your life hmm. two things immediately come to mind uh so i lived in like i think it was like 15 homes from when i was born to when i headed to college wow. um lived in five different states and um yeah my mom was very nomadic you could say and so uh yeah i think with that movement i had to sort of place myself and kind of figure out who i was between those different areas and also between like different groups of friends and schools and things like that and then you know i also went to this great school cooper which i think really tries to break from convention to sort of find the poetry in art and architecture and even engineering um, for five years of studying architecture there I was really encouraged to find that space between that really sort of got into into my bones have you ever practiced conventional architecture or did you kind of come out of Cooper sort of formed in the in the the ways you are right now um, I would say probably formed in the ways I am now. Uh, you know, I started 
sit to with three friends um, right out of school. We actually started setting up the studio while we were students and immediately sort of got into the sort of design build space and also research. Really got into some some pretty amazing research projects with human rights groups, um, and that work you know continues today. I mean, while I was in college, you know, I did internships at more conventional architecture firms, and actually kind of came out of that knowing that I wasn't really so interested in in that type of professional pursuit. I definitely want to be so doing more what might be considered conventional architecture, but I would say it'd be nice to do that work with clients who are looking for a slightly different approach or sort of coming into it outside of conventional routes. Yeah. And you you also talk about this idea of forced collaboration between across disciplines. Like what are some of the more interesting cross-discipline things you've you've worked on or the kind of people you've worked with yeah uh, i guess go back to working with human rights groups to do forensics work uh we would work with say amnesty international or witness to analyze videos audio recordings of say protests or other sort of events where human rights were challenged. And then we would use architectural tools to render a spatial understanding of what took place in an otherwise very chaotic scene. Wow. That's crazy. What does that mean? Like, how do, what, how do, you, how do you mean use architectural tools? So, like, everyone's using their cameras on their phones, mm-hmm. right? And especially in, like, protest scenes to document what's going on and these human rights groups are able to um, compile a lot of that data and then they'll come to us and we will put all of that into something that we can then sort of manage and build into a 3d model and then working with acoustics experts or video compilation experts you know to sort of overlay little bits of information to render out something that makes sense. So creating a three-dimensional model of a city and then rendering uh, vectors of, say, tear gas or bullets. And, but anyway, using all of those, those tools that architects use for buildings every day to help a pretty cross-disciplinary group uh, to be able to pull something together and then present it in court. And is that is that meant to be like in addition or in a, as a counter to sort of the the evidence that the police would gather and provide on the same event? Yeah, yeah, you know, just like um, any bit of evidence, you know. In a lot of these cases, we would be presenting evidence against a a government mm-hmm. or like a government agency, um, and the strategy for those government agencies um, was often to sort of claim that something was too chaotic or, you know, there's just not concrete evidence around something. And so our mandate really was to quantify and and render out whatever was being contested as clearly as possible so that it couldn't be disputed. 
Wow. Because, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you guys are sort of architecture's role is to understand how space is inhabited and how people move through space. And so this is just another version of space. It's kind of this pop-up space. You're working on a project right now that was, was it for size? I'm not saying that right. You're doing something with uh, fabrication right now? Uh, Oh, oh, Cry? Cry. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. They design and manufacture tactical gear for U.S. soldiers, uh, U.S. and uh, allies. And it's led by friends uh, who also went to Cooper. And um, they were doing a lot of industrial design work out of Cooper, won a military contract to develop a helmet for U.S. soldiers, um, which sort of opened the door into a lot of work for, for the armed forces. And, uh, yeah, they occupy this 85,000 square foot space in the Brooklyn Navy Yard where ships used to be built. Mm -hmm. And, um, they gave us a call a little while ago, um, to help them develop some amenity spaces for their, their staff. They have about 300 people that work there and immediately in stepping into their space, uh, it was clear that they, they needed some type of centerpiece, along with building out these little amenity spaces on um, like balconies that look into the main space. Yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting um, collaboration. And then I also see that you guys do a fair amount with an artist, Teresita. Yeah, Teresita Fernandez. Yep. Yeah, she's amazing. How did that happen? And and you did the Solarium project with her, or is that different? Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, so Teresita is a great artist that I've been working with for probably going on close to 10 years at this point. Yeah, she keeps us busy. You know, one project goes right into the next, um, which is great, certainly for, you know, building up a, a new practice and, you know, having that consistency. But also, Teresita is a lot of fun to work with in that we, we know each other well. There's a lot of, you know, mutual respect. Yeah, she seems like she does like political statements. Is is part of her design in your collaboration to create um, empathy for the experience that's happening elsewhere using an installation to do that? Yeah, I'd say that's a good way to summarize what she's usually doing. She's looking at how people in Latin America are being displaced by climate change and very difficult economic situations and even things like drug wars and sort of things that are really sort of wreaking havoc in the Latin America world. And uh, anyway, we created this large palm tree out of uh, copper that's going to be suspended in the space. And then we're working on a project for BAM. And the idea is that this kind of stainless steel ivy growth, you know, living in New York and Brooklyn, we see these sort of ivy growth up the side of buildings all the time. And so the idea is to create this growth on the side of the Bam Harvey Theater that sort of reaches out and becomes a canopy. And in mere polished stainless, it'll um, reflect the surrounding area. So as you walk down Fulton and look up at this piece on the wall, you'll be able to see the reflection of Fulton. And then also uh, just the light coming off of it and the caustic reflections um, will really sort of animate that space.
And I saw um, I saw you with your son. Are you creating fort kits? Is that a COVID <laughs> quarantine thing? I love that. Um, you know, there's <laughs> some talk of turning that into a product. I mean, that was just one of these, you know, weekend projects. But yeah, I mean, everyone is spending a lot more time at home with their kids. And I think there's a real sort of market for, you know, fort systems and managed to carve out some time. Yeah, it'd be fun to turn that into a product or at least produce enough of them that we can send them out to some friends. Yeah, I definitely know some parents here that would sign on for that. Okay, two more questions. So what's your dream project? It's easy. Um, I want to create a, a set of homes and a wind farm. You know, I think wind energy and the you know, turbines that are operating on an industrial scale are awesome. And you can actually be in close proximity to them in a way that you can't really do with any other industrial scale energy production or machinery. So just being close to wind turbines is, is something that I think is a pretty amazing experience. And I'd love to design homes that are within a wind farm um, where you can sort of read the landscape through the turbines, uh, understand something that's invisible, you know, the wind passing through the landscape, just through the, the speed of rotation of the turbines and the orientation. So being in a house within that sort of charged environment. Would they be, would the homes be small? I mean, those things are massive. Yeah. I could imagine at first just almost like cabins where people who share a, a similar joy in wind farms could rent one of these little cabins or stay these cabins for a longer you know, period of time. Maybe it's an artist residency or something along those lines. Um, and then there's lots of different ways to integrate. You know, do you put the home you know, right at the base? You know, that could be pretty intense with the sound and the shadow pattern and whatnot. So maybe... One is close to the base. Maybe a few of the other ones are spaced out away from the turbines. But yeah, you could sort of create different conditions throughout a landscape. And you know, I think it could also be framed as a, a project to better understand wind energy and sort of draw the public in to have a, an experience in wind farm. You know, a lot of people have driven past them and see them from a distance or see them in a commercial, but to actually spend a night in a wind farm or a summer. You know, maybe there's a school group that spends a summer actually living in a wind farm. You know, interesting certainly for the people, but also for the wind industry. Uh, It's something that I can imagine them getting behind as a sort of wind park that brings people out to to learn more about uh, how that industry works. Very cool. Yeah, so creating kind of an immersive environment for people to have understanding and affinity for something invisible. Yep. yep. Great. Well, um, I hope you get to do that. That'd be amazing. Yeah. And, uh, okay, last question I always ask everybody is, how would you define beautiful thinking? Yeah. I think it's, I guess when you think outside of yourself um you know when you you know to go back to you know something that we were talking about earlier in this conversation 
you know, it's, it's that space between, you know, and I think when people truly let go of themselves and, and sort of step into producing something for another person or occupying that space where they're, they're fragile, but they are, are letting themselves sort of fall into it, you know, letting themselves fall into an experience that's maybe out of their comfort zone, but they're embracing it, whatever it is, you know, whatever that experience may yield, they trust that it's, it's going to work out. So great film, you know, great architecture, great art encourages people to get out of their comfort zones and, and share something. Thank you so much for this conversation. Awesome. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Right. Enjoy your day. Yeah, you too. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. And I hope you took something from it. Something that'll help you with your next meeting, next pitch, your next big project. But above all, I hope it inspires you to think strange, different, new, and beautiful thoughts. For more from this interview and other chats with beautiful thinkers, visit carolynhadlock.com to subscribe on Medium and follow at Unoya Quarterly on Instagram. That's E-U-N-O-I-A Quarterly. 